You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Colton's season of The Bachelor and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 115. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. We've got a very important podcast for you today. First off, this podcast brought to you by Brilliant Earth. It's the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring or choose from their unique designs made by master jewelers and enjoy free shipping on all U.S. orders. From now until February 3rd, you'll receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, go to BrilliantEarth.com slash Steve. I don't want to waste too much time um, before the interview because I just want to get to it. Craig Robinson was on Ali Fedotowski season. He finished sixth. He was on the podcast about 18 months ago, and he's been through a lot since then. I, it, it's, it's tough to even put into words, but you'll hear his story. You'll hear the depths of how bad it got for him. Um, his, how bad his drinking and drug use was. He hasn't told this story publicly. And this was someone that, you know, I consider a friend and I asked him if he wanted to do it, took him a little bit to get back to me. He had to go through a sponsor to find out if this is something that he could do. Um, but I'm telling you, if this reaches one person today, then I feel we did our job. Um, and I, I can't imagine that it won't. Uh, it, it just Craig does an unbelievable job of retelling basically the last 10 years of his life in this hour and a half podcast. And, and you will hear how bad it got seven months ago in June of 2018. So without any further ado, let's get to him. Craig Robinson. All right. Time to bring in our guest. You remember him from Ali Fedotowski season of the bachelorette. God, I can't remember how many years ago that was, but I want to say eight or nine. And he was a podcast guest about a year and a half ago right here on this podcast. It was like in August of 2017. It is a good friend of mine, Craig Robinson. Craig, how are you? I'm doing well, bud. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, obviously, there's a big, some big stuff today. And I, I do want to – we're going we're gonna to touch on a lot of things. And, you know um, – I'm not going to do this interview and pretend like I don't know that you've already told me the story and just kind of lay it out there. I mean, there will be things that I bring up that you told me that I wrote down that I'll have you expand upon. And there will be things that when you start expanding upon them, I'm probably going to bring up more questions in my mind. So I'm just trying to figure out where to start here uh, with all this. Um, gosh, I, I mean, I guess I could start with how I, this even came to be. And um, I look back on my phone. And in July of this year, or last year, 2018, in, in July, you and I talked frequently, you know, every couple of weeks we'd send texts and we're watching the show and you'll make a comment about something on the show and whatnot. So in July, I had texted you about looking up something about my ex-girlfriend. Uh, yeah. I, I'd actually, I don't remember that. Uh, you know, you being in the legal field and it was just something that I was curious about. Uh, I'll leave it at that. And you... 
got back to me and said, yeah, just uh, email me the information. And I emailed you and I, I went back and looked at my texts and the last text I had sent you in July said, Hey, did you get a chance to look at that today? And I didn't hear from you. I thought it was kind of weird, but I wasn't like, Oh, you know what a dick Craig is. Uh-huh. And I didn't hear from you for a good full two months after that. And then looking at my phone uh, the other night, looking back on it, you texted me out of the blue on October 4th, and your text said, um, you asked me if I knew if Christie's death was a suicide. And of course, speaking about Christy Caserta, who died suddenly in October, former contestant on Brad Womack's second season, and I said, yeah, man, that's a horrible, I, I don't know, I don't think it is, but it was very early on in the process, and I responded back, and you were like, and that kind of got the ball rolling. You apologized for not getting back to me in July. The fact that you even remembered that was impressive. And from well, it was, that, it was the last. It was the last entry in the text comment. Oh, to be honest, so, yeah. So you <laughs> still had it. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't that hard to figure out? Okay, but. so you still had it. Um, but that got the ball rolling on. So you know what? Ha- where have you been? And you you just offered it to me. I didn't even say anything. You kind of offered it up to me. So. I, I want to get into it and basically start from, I don't know, start where you want to start at with, with, with this. But that's how it came to be of how I found out about this addiction that you've had. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, well, you know, I mean, I'll just, I'll first, I'll first just start off maybe, Steve, by saying, you know, obviously the circumstances that, that I've been on your podcast before have been quite different than this one and, and really, honestly, there, when you had uh, brought it up to me, you know, about whether or not this was something that I maybe would be willing to do, um, you know, it, it wasn't like a like a rushed decision, obviously, on my part. It was something that I thought about a lot yeah. in between the time period that you asked me and the time period that I said that I would do it. Um, but, uh, you know, part of the reason why I was so forward with you um, really is because being forward and being truthful and being honest has been something that I've had a difficult time with for a while uh, about the reality of kind of the situation that I've been living in uh, for the last, you know, I would, I would say really uh, it's been a good 10, 10 plus year um, situation for me where I've been um, a drug addict and an alcoholic um, and been suffering from, an addiction to uh, mainly to cocaine, but that uh, that stemmed from um, an addiction to alcohol, which started back when I was in high school. Um, you know, but uh, you know, I'll tell you. Maybe I'll just take you back, kind of, to for me where it started from. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, partying and in in starting in high school and with drinking and then, uh, in college, you know, fraternity life and then, you know, law going through law school and, and becoming an attorney. And then, um, you know, all of those kind of levels of my life, I would say that alcohol kind of became more and more involved in my life. Uh, and with that also cocaine became uh, more and more involved in my life. And, uh, so much so that over, I'd say the last, uh, three years, things started to get really, really bad for me to the point that, uh, it, 
wasn't just something that I would do going out socially and on weekends, but it became something that uh, I was doing throughout the day. Um, and from the outs, from an outsider's perspective, uh, and, and people that, that knew me, most people had no idea how deep the situation was for me and how much I was essentially relying on drugs to get me through my day. And, um, you know, I, I've always been someone I'd say, and look, you know, we, we can go back to even my time on the show. And, you know, I know when you would blog about it, you and I would kind of joke about it. I'd say, Hey, why, you know, why do you got to call me out for, uh, for my drinking? Because yeah. obviously it was kind of, there were kind of signs I'd say looking back on it that, uh, you know, maybe I had one too many often when I was, uh, when I was on the show and, uh, you know, we would kind of, I think, probably like almost joke about it uh, at that point. But really, deep down, it was it was a lot uh, deeper of a situation. But one that for me, I was never really willing to admit, not not just to other people, but to myself, um, because a part of what, you know, I've learned um, over the last several months, which I'll get into kind of what I've been through uh, over the last several months, but is uh, is being honest being open and um, trying to not be ashamed or embarrassed uh, about what it is that I've, that I've been going through. But I really haven't been honest with myself for a long time because as deep as this problem kept getting for me, um, I still was having levels of success at work, you know, and in my outside life to where, you know, in my mind, if nobody else thought it was a problem, then I could convince myself that it wasn't a problem for me. But, you know, deep, deep down, um, you know, I, I kind of started to, to see that, uh, that, you know, things were, were being, um, affected by it, not to the point that anybody would ever see it. I mean, I never, I didn't get arrested, didn't get in, into any, you know, legal trouble or anything like that. And, you know, no DUIs or anything like that. I mean, you know, thank God my, my record <laughs> on paper is pretty clean, Yeah. but, um, you know, and I'll just, I just, I just say this before I, I, you know, you follow up with anything that, that, you know, there's obviously a lot to talk about with it, but, um, you know, part of the reason why I'm doing this now and, and talking to you openly, because in, in full disclosure and full honesty, this is not the conversation I necessarily want to be having, <laughs> you know, I mean, this isn't a, a bright and, uh, exciting topic to talk about. And, uh, it's, it's my life, you know, and it's kind of the, 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 the cards that I was dealt in life. But I really hope that, um, you know, my hope with this and going forward is that, um, you know, if I go back to my situation and thinking about the things that I was going through um, just as recently as, uh, as last year, you know, I didn't really hear from anyone a message that kind of resonated with me to let me know that if I came clean and opened up to somebody, anybody about the problem that I was having, that I could get out of it and I could get to the other side of it and I could get help. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the one of the blessed things about my life is that I have a lot of people that care about me. Um, and sometimes my reaction to that is to push people away. Um, I don't typically like asking for help uh, because I think that. I can handle my own shit. And, um, you know, whatever situation that I'm in, I've always kind of had an ego, um, and a feeling that, uh, 
that my problems are my problems. They're not somebody else's. So, so for a long, long time, I kind of suffered in silence and, um, and never really asked, asked somebody, uh, for help, you know, until for me, the problem got so deep that, uh, um, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this, but, uh, but I really lost my own will to even want to be on this earth anymore. Um, yeah. which is crazy for me to say, because, you know, the, the, the one thing that I've had a lot of difficulty in kind of getting to into and in understanding throughout this whole, this whole process that I've been going through the last several months, um, is I, I, I wondered the first question I asked is, you know, that this isn't supposed to happen to me. You know, my life is good. I mean, I didn't come from a, an abusive family. I had two phenomenal parents. I still have two phenomenal parents who are a big part of my life, a brother, you know, a family, you know, who loved me and who were there for me, who were not alcoholics, who were not drug addicts, who didn't suffer with this. This isn't something that runs in my family. So a lot of part of the problem with, with me being uh, so understanding of my own situation is like, how did this happen to me? Yeah. And I've had to do a lot of deep soul searching you know, to get to the point where I, I think I have a pretty decent level of, uh, of understanding of how addiction works uh, and how alcoholism works. And, um, you know, it doesn't discriminate. Uh, this is not it's not something that that only happens to people who have a genetic disposition for it or, who you know, who have parents who are alcoholics or who suffered some form of trauma or some form of abuse in their life or something like that. Certainly those factors can can lead to it as well or can kind of, uh, you know, um, you know, make it worse. But, uh, but in my case, you know, there's no, there's not a, a real reason that I can point to other than the fact that this is my, my makeup. Um, I unfortunately have what I know now is a, is a disease. Um, you know, I firmly believe that. And, uh, you know, it's a disease that was out of my control for a very long period of time. Yeah. You know, when you mm -hmm. contacted me in October and told me all of it, and I, and you told me over text the depths of where you had gotten to. At the time, you weren't in a place where obviously you were going to openly uh, you talk about it. But I had stuck it in the back of my mind that it brought it up to me then. I'm going to at least ask him. When this is all said and done and when he's hopefully good, I'm going to ask Craig if he's going to I – mean, it's been on my mind for three months to ask you to come on and do this. And honestly, I didn't know the answer. If you would have said, no, I can't do this. It's not something I want to talk about. I totally would have respected it. I wouldn't have had a problem if you didn't do it, but I'm so glad that you, that you are doing it. So obviously there's a lot of questions to get to, and we're going to get to touch on a lot of stuff. The first thing is that I want to ask is when, how old were you the first time you did cocaine? I was 18. You're 18. Mm -hmm. Around that time, how often were you saying you were doing it back then? Well, I, I, this is, this is when I was in college. Uh, actually the first time I, I ever tried it, I was on spring break in, in Mexico, uh, in Acapulco. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my drinking that night led me to, don't even ask it, to, to be on a, some sort of beach party with a bunch of like local Mexicans and a few, a few of my friends. And, uh, that was the first time I was ever kind of introduced to it. And following that, I'll tell you what, the first time I did it, um, I loved it. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was, I mean, the best way I can describe it is like in my, in my life, I've, I've always like, uh, I've always loved action. You know what I mean? Like I've always loved to kind of have, uh, to be up higher. There's people, there's drug addicts that enjoy opiates or that enjoy 
you know, even smoking pot or the things of that nature where they like to kind of be more mellow and brought down a little bit. I always like to be up in the sky, you know what I mean? And, and to, to, you know, to feel the, the, the rush kind of that, uh, that cocaine, you know, gave me. And I was, I started to do it, um, if not every weekend, at least twice a month kind of through, throughout college. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it was never, it was never something that interfered with my, uh, ability to do well in school. Um, I did well in college, obviously I went, you know, got into a decent law school, got into Villanova and, um, you know, even continued that, that habit through, throughout law school. And it didn't, didn't affect me, uh, you know, in law school. I mean, I, um, I didn't set the world on fire in law school, but I did, I did well enough, uh, you know, to, to get myself a good job and have a, have a good career over the last 10 years. And, um, you know, but, but that, that progressed, uh, you know, the, the one thing about, about like addiction is, is, you know, um, and, and I've talked to a lot of, you know, since I've been, I'm trying to kind of really, you know, get involved with helping some other people that have been in my situation. And, you know, you see people kind of that are in their mid twenties or late twenties that were in situations like me. And, and, you know, as long as it's under control that you think, oh, well, I'm just doing it when I go out, I'm just doing it on the weekends. Um, you don't see it as a problem that's interfering with your life. But, uh, for me, it was a steady kind of progression uh to where uh you know i can remember um you know doing it for the first time uh about nine years ago during the day uh you know while i was working and uh you know that that was kind of the time period that it started to uh become something that i relied on more than just to uh elevate myself in a party lifestyle but more to help myself kind of uh throughout the day yeah get through the day Yeah. Um, so you were obviously doing it then. I, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about the bachelor. We did that on the last podcast or bachelorette, (laughs) but like just out of pure ignorance, because I'll be honest, I've never done drugs in my life. Um, you know, I socially drink and whatnot, but I've never, I've never touched cocaine or anything of the like. Um, how did you get through being on the bachelorette for a month of filming if you weren't able to, well, I guess the answer is alcohol. You obviously drank on the show a lot, and yeah, but you just yeah. didn't have your you just didn't have cocaine available to you, obviously on on set and when you were right. filming Ali's season. And, and, and you know, back back at that point, it wasn't something that um, that I I needed, um, you know, necessarily throughout the day, um, you know. But but certainly with the amount of alcohol that I had available to me on the show. Um, you know, I, I made do with what I had. I mean, you know, look, we drank, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I mean, I drank every day on that show. Um, and you know, obviously not to, I I hope that doesn't come across in any way as me somehow blaming anyone. I mean, I'll make that clear to, to you and to anyone listening to this, that like, if, if anything that I say in any way can comes across as implying that someone else is at fault here, there's, that's, that's not the case. And that's not what I'm, trying to communicate. I mean, this was, this was, this was me, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, yeah. I own up to that, that, uh, that no one, no one forced anything down my throat at any, or, or, or up my nose at any, at any point in time. Um, that was, yeah, I just think, things, things that I, mm-hmm. I think maybe the average fan and even myself, who's, you know, drug illiterate here, uh, is also maybe even wondering how did you pass the drug test to get cast on the show? If this was yeah. such a daily thing, 
or not a daily at that time, but obviously you were a user then. Um, mm-hmm. What what year was this? So I'm so so when I do reference it, I can talk about a year. What yeah, I was early season. What felt? What I was, was we filmed it in 2010. 2010. Okay, and then it aired. So we're, yeah, and then it aired in 2010 because Bachelorette yep, airs. Yep. Um. So how did you how do you get on the show if you are a f- somewhat frequent cocaine user? Yeah. So the uh, and obviously I I knew this. I looked it up, but um, but there's some drugs that stay in your system for a longer period of time. Um, I think I think pot stays in your system for for on average, like 30 days. Cocaine is one that they goes through your system fairly quickly. Uh, so it's for a, uh, for a urine drug test, it's, it's out of your system in 48 at max 72 hours. So all, all I would have had to have done back then, um, is to, is to stay clean for two or three days, Okay, which is, which, which is doable. You know, it would have been doable at any, at any point in my life. Cause even the, even the time periods, I don't, I don't want to like confuse it, but like, even the time periods where it got to be a daily thing. When I say daily, I mean, you know, you do it daily for several days in a row. There was a time period where you, you got to give it a break. So, I mean, I would, I would kind of crash after, uh, you know, three, four days of it and, and take a couple of days off really it was kind of the pattern that I had. Yeah. And I, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about a lot on the podcast with just contestants and we talk about post-show fame and success and i want to get into that with you uh it's just the attention you get after coming off the show and we know a lot of people it's a lot of you know appearances and meetups and hanging out with the boys and stuff like that and doing a lot of drinking uh for you i'm sure that didn't help this situation because you reveled in it and i remember you telling me stories of stuff not the cocaine part of it but just like Craig, for the longest time, I just thought you had a drinking problem. I always thought it in the back of my head. I never confronted you with it. I never did an intervention. I just yeah. thought, man, Craig drinks a lot. And I and there are times where you would call me, and I think, and I would think to myself after I hung up, I think he was drunk. Like I, mm-hmm. I you know, that's probably was, dude. and you probably were. <laughs> Hell, you were probably high and or drunk. I don't mean to. And I don't. I, I hope my laughter doesn't even come come across because obviously this is a very serious matter to me. So I'm not. I'm not laughing as though it's uh, oh, yeah, it's no. humorous in any way because I mean obviously where I've where I, what I've had to do the last few months there's nothing funny about it but I mean uh, but yeah you're you you're spot on um, in that uh, look I can I, I never would have admitted this to you if you had listened you know if you say like I I didn't do an intervention or call you out on it or anything like that the thing about addiction and alcoholism is I'm pretty sure that if you had or if anybody had tried to tell me at that point that I had a drinking problem, you know, my response would have been F you, you know, you're the one with the problem and I wouldn't have taken it very, very well because one of the things about, you know, alcoholics and and addicts, especially to the extent that I was at, um, is that, uh, I'm very defensive. There's no way I would ever agree to that or admit to that and, uh, and tell you that you were right because I did things my way. You know, and, uh, um, but that's, 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 that's just a part of, um, you know, I mean, Steve, I'll tell you, you know, I can tell you more about what what I've been through the last few months. And this isn't about anybody else's story, but mine, the only story I can tell you is mine. But, uh, but, but trust me when I say that I've been around a lot of people who, who were in the exact same place I was in. And, uh, and from the outside, 
outsider's perspective, you would have thought that these people, you know, whatever field they were in, professional life, a lot of success and, and things of that nature, were dealing with the exact same thing that uh, that I was dealing with. So, you know, I don't I wasn't ready to call it quits on this whole thing until I was ready, until it really dragged me emotionally, mentally, spiritually into the ground to the point that, uh, like I said to you before, that I, I genuinely did not uh didn't want to live under the circumstances that I was living under. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. so you obviously got a lot of attention and a lot of, you know, backpacking. Oh, yeah. Well, that was right. That after, was the, after yeah. the show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that it, it definitely didn't help. Um, you know, uh, th- like I think we talked about in the last podcast, but, uh, you know, like like uh, the social media aspect of things was was a little bit different back in 2010. Twitter was just becoming kind of big. Yeah. Um, but, but it was nowhere near what Instagram and, and, uh, you know, even Twitter is now, I think like where I finished in the, you know, the final six would have gotten you somewhere around 10,000 followers or something like that. Whereas today, I don't know, you tell me, but it's probably getting, getting more, you know, more of a following. But even back then for me, I mean, when I got off the show, I mean, two days, two days after I got home, I, I was at a party in Philly and, uh, met someone who was a publicist who said, I want to you know, represent you and, um, you know, and, and help you find kind of, uh, you know, nightlife gigs and parties and things like that to go to, which was a great, a great thing for me. I was 28 years old and now all of a sudden I'm going to be getting paid to, uh, to go to parties and, you know, and, and just go drink and then be offered drugs and whatever else. And, and, uh, you know, and, and live, a a lifestyle that to me seemed incredible. I mean, you know, like, Part of the, the the great thing about the, about the, the the show was look, you know, I I don't know too many people that don't enjoy you know some attention in their lives. Some like more than others, you know. And most of the people I think that go on the show, um, that go on The Bachelor, obviously there's a a desire for some level of attention there. If you're the type of person that doesn't want attention and you're going on The Bachelor, that's kind of the uh, the wrong move. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out. But I mean, I, I, listen, I took advantage of every opportunity that I possibly could, um, went to as many parties as I possibly could. And, and, uh, certainly that definitely ramped up, um, my use. And, um, but at the same time, I'll look back at it and say, well, you know, I wasn't, you know, missing my court appearances. I was getting good results at work. I was getting good trial results. I was, you know, continuing to progress in my professional life. Um, you know, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, uh, at that point in time, looking back on it, man, I felt like I was on top of the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was great. Okay, guys, want to take a break real quick. Talk to you about two sponsors for this week's podcast. First one is Brilliant Earth. Create your own custom engagement ring from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings, all at BrilliantEarth.com. They offer custom engagement rings, wedding rings, vintage rings, as well as earrings, bracelets, necklaces with exclusive unique designs you can't find anywhere else. Their master jewelers bring to life designs from award-winning designers with exceptional quality and craftsmanship. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. They go above and beyond the current industry standards to offer beyond conflict-free diamonds, along with fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals. Brilliant Earth also donates 5% of profits 
to help build a brighter future in communities impacted by the jewelry industry. To ensure a stress-free purchasing experience, Brilliant Earth offers a free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders as well as flexible payment options. As I've said, purchase this for a friend in the past. She absolutely loves it. She loves the bracelets that she got. She got a necklace. She got a bracelet. It was very easy to order for her. Uh, Obviously, there was no return on her end because she's wearing it pretty much every day. But she absolutely loves it. Very easy to deal with. Just in time for Valentine's Day. If you purchase an engagement ring, you will also receive a complimentary pair of gorgeous diamond stud earrings. To see terms for the special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, just go to BrilliantEarth.com slash Steve. That's BrilliantEarth.com slash Steve. Also, support for today's show comes from Hopsy. Hopsy is like the Nespresso or Keurig for beer. It brings beer on tap to the comfort of your own home with the Sub, a countertop appliance that fits neatly in your kitchen, bar, or living room. Whether you're a hophead, malt mouth, or palate partier, you can enjoy a variety of beer styles like IPAs, stouts, and pilsners from big and small breweries, which rotates monthly. I've gotten one of these for my sister and brother-in-law. They absolutely love it. They just got their third refill last weekend, and they can't get enough of it. It just sits right there on their counter in the kitchen, and you basically pour it from beer from a tap in your own home. It's great. Go to tryhopsy.com slash Steve and use promo code Steve, and for $99, you'll get the sub home draft machine, two mini kegs of beer equivalent to two six-packs, two Hopsy glasses, and membership in the monthly beer club. Ladies, this is a great Valentine's Day gift for your man, assuming he likes beer. That's tryhopsy.com slash Steve, promo code Steve, to get a sub home draft machine, two mini kegs of beer equivalent to two six-packs, two Hopsy glasses, and membership in the monthly beer club, all for $99. Or click the link in my show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Now, let's return to Craig Robinson, uninterrupted for the remainder of the podcast. You... um had you know we, we we get through that and we can obviously skip ahead because that's really all i want to talk about in regards to the to the show aspect of it but we, so we move ahead and um obviously the drinking is ramping up the the cocaine is becoming now a daily thing when did cocaine become a daily thing for you how long ago was it um i would say about three years ago it's kind of tough for me to remember exactly steve because um, you know, but, but I would say about, about three years ago or so is where it really became, uh, something that I was, I was doing at work and on, on a fairly regular basis. Where, um, I, I guess again, a novice question here, but what is a daily routine like for you as a cocaine user at that time? Are you, I mean, is it as simple as you're waking up and you're doing a line before heading to work or you're eating breakfast and then, Oh, I'll just do the line at work. I, what is your mindset and, and what is a daily, what did your daily life consist of back then? Yeah. I mean, it, uh, I'll tell you, you know, and, and this kind of gets into, into, um, you know, uh, I know there's like debate still out there as whether or not this is a choice or if it's a disease and something that you have control over or don't have control over. But, uh, the best way I can describe it is really complete and utter misery in the sense that, 
you're not doing it by choice. I'm not waking up in the morning and saying to myself, ah, you know what? Today's a good day to, to, to do a line, um, you know, before I go to work. Um, most of my days consisted of, um, first of all, trying to tell myself and pep talk myself into saying, this is the last time. Um, I, I would even, I, I think I mentioned to you the other day, you know, that I would even, uh, get it in quantities that were just a daily, a daily quantity because I thought that the next day I was going to stop if that was the last time. But, uh, but typically it would be, um, I would be up most of the night. Sometimes I would still be going out about, about, uh, you know, two or three years ago, I might be going out and having some drinks and, and, you know, and, and, and using it kind of in a social environment, but it always ended up typically the nights where I would end up being, um, being home and, uh, continuing my own party, uh, with it, uh, you know, after that, but there was a lot of, you know, when you say waking up, there wasn't a whole lot of waking up to do it. Those times where I was in it, um, I generally wasn't what you would be calling sleep. I mean, I, I was, um, really, uh, you know, telling myself that I would sleep, like I might lay down for an hour or two hours, but, but I was never in, in full sleep. I mean, it's a drug that really keeps you unfortunately awake, you know, until your body really gives out. But my typical routine would be, uh, to, to do it throughout the night, um, for really kind of several days straight. I mean, somehow, some way I have a makeup where my body could tolerate, uh, you know, going several days at a time without sleep. Um, but ultimately, you know, I would get to a point where, where, you know, my body would tell me that it's time to shut down and I would crash, uh, you know, and I would sleep for 12, 15 hours and then, uh, you know, wake up and, uh, and do it over again. At the time, what was your reason for doing it? Did you even know, or was it, I'm on it. I got to keep doing this because this is how I'm functioning now. And if I go off Mm -hmm. it, I might be a completely different person. Was it something yeah, I mean, like the, 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 the best way I could describe it is that, um, you know, like I have a baseline where I would consider myself normal, which is where I'm at right now being sober, um, you know, and what what cocaine used to do for me was it would take me up to a higher level. So that performance, for instance, you know, if I was uh, needed to to, you know, um, be in either in a social environment and be talking to people. I was on just a higher level. I was always on. So cocaine kind of got me to that point where, um, where I was, uh, I thought kind of functioning at a higher level than I would have without it. Um, ultimately where it got me, and this is where I would say that three year ago period kind of started was without it, I would be significantly lower than my normal baseline. I might be tired, sluggish, not able to even, you know, get up and, and, uh, go about my normal day. And then what cocaine would do for me was bring me back to baseline mm-hmm. so that if I was, so that if I wasn't on it, um, something didn't feel right. I mean, that's when I would worry that people would notice that, uh, that something was off with me. So I was essentially using it, uh, to get myself to a, to a level of what I would consider normal. Anybody that listened to the last podcast and anybody that knows, because we talked about it a lot on the last one, was you were majorly affected by the death of Gia uh, Mm -hmm. and did a lot of work for the foundation, her foundation, 
um, that she had, or that just the Suicide Foundation, and well, not the Suicide Foundation, whatever the name yeah. of it is. You did a lot of work. You were on the board of directors for it. Is it Gia's Charity? Is that what it was? I, I was, so at the time period that I that I started getting involved, her charity didn't exist at that point. It, it didn't exist until, um, I guess, maybe about three years ago or so. So what, I was on the board of the Philadelphia chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Okay. So that was what I really got involved with. Um, you know, myself and her family were pretty involved. And, uh, okay. you know, I had been going to, going to a lot of events and, and ended up being being asked to be on the board. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was obviously very affected by that. And, um, you know, like we, we talked about before, I mean, she was a very close friend of mine. And, um, you know, the way that that all happened to me was just uh, was was really so shocking. And I, at that point, um, you know, part a big part of me wanted to make sure that I could, you know, help other people that were going through a similar thing that she was going through. The ironic thing about it is that um, and I never would have admitted this before, but uh, in a way, the work that I was doing um, then was there was an aspect of it for me that was really kind of almost self-medicating myself because I was getting to a place in my own mind where I was starting to have those same kind of thoughts um, that I knew how deep my, you know, my situation was starting to get because my reliance on, on drugs um, was, uh, was really starting to ramp up at that point. And it, it, that wasn't, I have to say things were, things were already kind of, you know, heading down that road when Gia passed. So it wasn't like her passing led me to get in into a deeper addiction or anything like that. Um, I, I think this would have happened whether that happened or not, but her death and then my involvement in the American foundation for suicide prevention, you know, in an ironic way was really uh, a way to kind of almost, almost treat myself and help myself from my own depression and suicidal kind of thoughts that I was having at that point in time. Um, so which is just, yeah, it's odd looking back on it like that, but yeah. So Mm -hmm. where were you? And I guess in terms of the timeline, when did, I mean, you told me, I want you to share the story now of your low point, when it happened, how you feel you got to that point and just tell, tell everybody what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, well, I got to the point uh, towards the end of 2017 um, and beginning of 2018 where, um, you know, I, I just knew in my own head that with how deep the situation had gotten, even though I was still, you know, functioning at work and, and being where I needed to be at, at certain times, if I had court, it wasn't like I ever missed court or anything like that or uh you know, wasn't where I needed to be at a given point, but I really started to realize at that point in time that, uh, that I wasn't physically or mentally capable of continuing to work, um, you know, under the, under the addiction that I was under. So, um, I left my job in February of 2018. Um, and for a period of about four months up until June of 2018, um, I was in almost pure isolation from from the world. I mean, I, I would rarely answer my phone. I would rarely text people back. I mean, I, my family, I, I obviously would would uh, 
would communicate with because uh, I didn't want people to come looking for me or anything like that. But um, but I went into a, a, a period of just uh, straight depression where I rarely, if ever, left my apartment, um, you know, in Philly and, um, you know, was thinking pretty deeply at that point about um, about suicide and, um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, tried to do that in January, the end of or I'm sorry, at the end of uh, June of 2018. Um, thank God unsuccessfully and wasn't able to actually bring myself to, uh, to, to do it. Um, I, I know that you had mentioned to me, I mean, you know, you, people say, there's, I guess there's a lot of different ways and your story resonated with me because it just, how you described it to me was you wrote out a suicide letter and I did. <clears throat> you had a bottle of whiskey you had sleeping pills, you had Coke, and you tried to hang yourself. Yep. Yeah. Um, and what happened? You know, Steve, I mean, with the amount of, with the amount of, uh, I mean, I, I had, I had drank a lot of whiskey, like I said, you know, had taken a few sleeping pills and, and was also on cocaine. So there was quite a mixture of things going on in my body at that point in time. Um, but I'll tell you that it, it was, uh, um, something that I really like deeply thought about for about the week before that. And, um, you know, so much so that, uh, I, I for some reason, when I, when I wrote the letter, I wanted to go across the street, uh, into kind of a public, uh, like a little shopping mall in Philly and, and sat in a corner and, 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 and typed it out and, um, and then went home and, um, and was trying to do it. And, um, you know, the first time I, I tried it, it didn't hold, I mean, not to get too graphic with you, but then, um, you know, ended up somewhat kind of passing out and, and, uh, you know, with the, with the cord around my neck and, um, you know, thank God I had an obligation the next day of, uh, of, uh, I was helping my brother move actually, which the crazy thing about all this is that really like when I needed to be somewhere for somebody, you know, for the most part, I, I, I pull myself together and, and get there. And, um, I knew my brother was moving and, and needed my help, uh, that weekend. And, um, you know, went up to New York, um, you know, after that really just an emotional wreck and, and helped him move and, uh, pulled my, pulled myself together and was able to kind of still continue to hide it from, uh, from my family for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, you meant, you mentioned that, like, I, I couldn't believe that you were able to do that like mm -hmm. hours after you had, you know, attempted to kill yourself. So you go up to New York, you help your brother move, you spend time with family for a couple of weeks and mm -hmm. now you're on your way. Now you got to get back to, Philly. And mm -hmm. you told me basically I was just all set to do it again. And I knew if I got back to Philly, I probably was going to do it again and yeah. might've been successful. Might not have been, I don't know, but you basically had a phone, had a conversation as you're driving your, I think you said your father will tell the story. Your father drove yeah. you to the train, right? Yeah. So I didn't have, I had taken my, my, I had taken the train up to New York. So and then I had come back, uh, you know, I'd gone with my family. It was over July 4th weekend. So I'd gone down to, uh, to hang out with my, my family down the shore. Then my, um, 
uh, I was came back to to where my parents live. My dad was going to drive me over to the train station and drop me off to head back to Philly. And, um, you know, while we were in the car, it was only about a five minute drive from where they live. And uh, we were just a couple minutes away, um, you know, from the train station. And, uh, you know, Steve, it's it, it was like it wasn't planned at that point in my mind. I mean, really, like from the moment I got in the car, I just remember kind of like starting to almost like hyperventilate a little bit, just like knowing that, um, that if I get on that train, um, I felt like I was taking a train into my own, you know, into my own death. Uh, because you know, the, the thing, the thing is, is that I didn't have, it was like the one time in my life, like where, you know, like whenever I've had a challenge in life, you know, whether it be in, my law career or, you know, getting through school or just like a personal problem or something like that. I've always had an answer and I've always had a way that I could get myself out of it. Right. But this is like the one time in my life where like, I don't have an answer. I mean, I've been trying, I've been trying here for years telling myself, like I said, this is the last time, this is the last time. And so you know, the, the, the best way I could describe it, I think I might have said this to you before, but it's like it's like you're walking on quicksand constantly, you know, and there's just no way that you can get yourself, you know, out of it. And so I, I really knew in my mind that if I got on that train, um, I was going to at least try it again. Um, and I thought that ultimately I would be successful because at that point, that's what I convinced myself that was the only way out. That was the only option. Uh, nothing else made made any sense, you know, to me, because really what I thought, I think, you know, I, as I've looked back on it, I used to sit up like late at night and um, I'd have the TV on and I'd see these these advertisements for rehabs or, you know, do you have an addiction? And, you know, call this number and call this hotline, even being involved with the Suicide Prevention um, Foundation. You know, they have those 1-800 numbers like call this number if you need help. Well, I used to always look at that stuff and say, <laughs> that that's not, I am beyond that. Like there is nothing that whoever answers that phone is going to be able to do for me. Number one. And number two, it's not their problem. This is my, this is my problem. This is something that in my mind that I had gotten myself into such a deep level. Um, you know, I was, I was pissed at myself because I mean, I was pissed at myself and looking back, like, why did I even take my first line of cocaine at 18 years old? Or why did I, you know, drink so much. And I really, at that point, even in my own mind, thought that there was some level of choice involved in, in this. Um, and so, you know, I was like trapped and, and on that car ride, you know, I mean, I don't want to get, you know, to, uh, you know, to a point because I'll tell you this before this whole thing happened to me, I was not a religious person. I mean, I grew up Jewish and I would go to synagogue twice a year. I would go to you know, my Yom Kippur service, which is a day of atonement and ask God for forgiveness for all the times I've sinned for the year before. And, um, you know, I, I and and I thought that uh, that religion for me was a was and, and my relationship with God was something that I would just rely upon in times of need when shit hit the fan, you know, and um, I, I really just had this like almost out of body experience while I was on that car ride, Steve, to where I, I realized, number one, that I didn't want to die. You know, I, I thought there was no other option for me. Um, but uh, so I, I as we were a couple minutes away from the train station, I, I began to kind of hyperventilate. And, uh, 
you know, was getting kind of short of breath. And, you know, my dad looked over at me and was like, yeah, are you all right? And, um, and I just couldn't get a word out. I started crying and, um, and he pulled the car over and I, and I don't know how long it was that we were sitting there before I could even get a word out to him, you know, and, and, and explain to him what I'd been dealing with. But, uh, but ultimately I was able to, to say to him, I think my first words to him were that I have a real problem. Uh, I'm addicted to cocaine. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, he's, I mean, God bless my parents, man, both of them. But, uh, but, you know, he said, he said, well, we'll figure this out. <laughs> we'll figure this out. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. And, um, you know, thank God we, uh, we had a, uh, a really close family friend who had been to a, uh, a rehab up in Pennsylvania. It's, uh, I don't mind saying where I was, it's called the Karen foundation and, uh, it's in the middle of Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, that got the ball rolling. I, I was on the phone with them with, uh, with the Karen foundation. I made the call probably within the half hour having that conversation with my dad. And, uh, thank God they had a bed open for me a couple of days later. So you go into and, uh, rehab in, in Philly and basically end of June, beginning of July. Or it's this, a beginning, is after, yeah. this is after July 4th exactly. weekend when you were with the family. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, mm-hmm. July of last year, you check into uh, that rehab, and then, and that was right around the time that I had sent you the text. That was the last time we had spoken. Obviously, you didn't mention at the time, "Hey, I'm in rehab. I can't get around to doing this." Yeah, uh, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't at a point anywhere close to that point where I was uh, ready to tell anyone what I what I'd yeah. been through or what I was going through. Jeez, Craig, yeah. how selfish! You couldn't look up stuff on I my ex girlfriend for me. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't at the top of my priority <laughs> list at that point, really. No offense. Uh, I, I hope everything worked out with it, by the way. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> it's another, another story for another day. Yeah. But, okay, um, I'll have, to have you on a guest on uh, on another podcast. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, you, so you, you're in that rehab. Uh, you were in there for 30 days, and then tell everybody what happened or what you ended yeah, up doing. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, so – um, you know, they had, uh, they had recommended that there, there was a program down in Florida, uh, in, uh, uh, down in, um, the Delray beach area in Florida. Um, that was, uh, kind of just, just a, a program that, um, was a little bit more intense, a lot more intense, I should say, um, from a therapy standpoint, they had some of the top therapists really in the country at this program down in, uh, down in Florida. And, um, you know, went over it a lot with them there and, um, what they had told me that essentially was, um, was that, uh, you know, your chances of staying sober and, um, you know, getting yourself back on track, but also for me, um, was, you know, the, the rehab that I was in, in Pennsylvania, they really focus on, um, you know, figuring out like how you can just stay sober. You know, I mean, how can you get yourself to that point where you can just, you know, achieve a level of, of sobriety and sobriety, you know, means for me not ever picking up a drink ever again for the rest of my life um, or any mood altering substance like pot, you know, any type of drugs. Um, you know, so um, they recommended that I come down to Florida and um, I made a pact, you know, while I was there with myself that, uh, that I was going to follow whatever recommendations that they gave me. These people were the experts. I didn't know shit about it. All I knew was that I needed help and I needed to figure out, uh, you know, how to get to the root of my problem. Cause one of the questions that I had for myself and, and for the people there was why, like what, 
well, you know, this isn't supposed to happen to me. Yeah. You know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't supposed to happen to someone who, uh, you know, is what I would consider high functioning and, you know, able to, to have a good career and someone who comes from a family that's of, that are, that are not alcoholic, that don't have drug problems, that, that probably have never even seen cocaine before, you know, um, you know, how, how can I get to the root of why this happened to me? Because part of, I need to know why things happen. I can't just accept things a lot of times. So, you know, they had promised me that, uh, that that would be what the program down in Florida really worked on. So I transferred down there at the beginning down. Well, here, that's where I am right now. Um, I transferred down to Florida at, um, at the beginning of August and, uh, you know, stayed in, uh, in rehab uh, for another three months, uh, until early November. Um, and, uh, I've, uh, continued to stay close. I'm not, I'm not in, obviously I'm not in rehab anymore, but, um, but I got out in November and I've stayed close by. I decided to move down here because, uh, I developed a really strong group of, uh, of people down here, friends, um, who were, you know, sober and, uh, you know, know kind of the lay of the land and how to, you know, stay sober and how to have fun in sobriety, how to enjoy life and get back to a place where like, you know, you don't need alcohol or drugs to kind of function. So, um, you know, so that's, that's, uh, that's what I've been doing. I've stayed close to, uh, to the rehab. I think I, you know, I told you of one of my, uh, you know, kind of ways that I, that I help myself really is by trying to help other people that are, that were in the same position I was in, um, you know, just last summer. And so, uh, you know, it involves for me a lot of taking guys out and, um, and talking with them and trying to give them a little bit of the experience that I've had and, and try to give them some hope that, that things can change. Uh, because that's really what I needed at that point was just to hear that things were going to be okay, that, that there was hope out there, that there's a way out of the depth of the situation that I was in. And because, um, honestly, Steve, I mean, I, I, I never would have pictured my life you know, as being one without alcohol to where I could be at a party or I could be in a social setting and not have to rely on alcohol to have a good time and to have fun. But, uh, but that's, that's the hand of cards I was dealt in life. And I've really just, uh, been doing a lot of soul searching and a lot of working on myself, uh, since I've been down here. And, uh, and I think I mentioned to you, one of the things that, that I've learned and that I've, uh, been diagnosed with down here, um, you know, is, is major depressive disorder, Um, you know, and not something that I ever would have thought that I, I had, I I knew what depression, I knew what the word meant before this, but it wasn't something that I thought that I had. We had this kind of long drawn out, uh, you know, debate kind of when I got up to the rehab in Pennsylvania that, you know, sometimes drugs and excessive drug use and alcohol use can cause you to have depression, like, like, um, you know, uh, depression that's, that's influenced by your drug use or by your uh, alcohol use. Um, but what, what they've found out and what I understand now is that, uh, is that I have underlying depression, um, which is not a result of my circumstances because there's not a whole lot in my life that from the outsider's perspective, I have to be depressed about. I have a lot of friends, I have great family. Like I said, you know, I have a, you know, good career and, and, you know, have done relatively well in life, but, uh, so for me, understanding that it's not a matter of circumstances or just, you know, the fact that you just are sad all the time and can't pull your, you know, and don't want to pull yourself out of that. I physically can't. 
uh, do that because I have a chemical imbalance. And they've done a lot here, um, down here since I've been here. One of the things they did was brain mapping to actually study my brain um, and figuring out kind of, uh, you know, where it is that I have certain imbalances that cause me to, uh, to not, to not feel fulfilled by a lot of the positive things that I've achieved in life and to not feel fulfilled by the good relationships that I have with people and friends and the good things that have happened to me in my life. Because no matter, no matter what, if you have to, if you have depression, you have that chemical imbalance there's nothing that's going to make you feel necessarily better. There's no level of achievement you can have in your life. You can't find fulfillment from going on the bachelorette and getting a, a shitload of attention after that. Sure, you can that can maybe be a temporary fix, just like cocaine was for me, you know, but uh but it's not gonna solve the inner problem of depression and, and that's something I've really done a lot of work on. Um in, in understanding that and helping myself out of it. And I've done it, thank God, without um, having to be on any type of medication. There's a lot of, uh, of ways that I've worked on that, one of which is continuing to see a therapist on a weekly basis down here um, who's helped me out a lot. Uh, and I find a lot of relief in that. I mean, um, you know, in, in, in seeing her, it just it really, uh, it's just, it's, it's my, my way of, um, of dealing with the problem I have without having to rely on a mood altering substance or, you know, an antidepressant or anything like that. That was something that, that they talked about with me. And, um, I said, I don't, I don't want to rely on that. And I'm not, no, listen, not knocking anybody that has to do that because I, I understand there's, there's levels of it, of depression and certain people that just need medication in order to, to get through uh, what they're going through. But, um, but for me, I, I, I really tried and have continued to try to do it uh, naturally and to, uh, to treat my treat my depression in other ways. So you did three months of rehab in down in Florida. What what was the daily routine like when you were there? I mean, and did you ever during those three months, and maybe even including the month in Pennsylvania, did you ever get the urge to use? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know my 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 knowledge of cocaine use and drug use like that. I literally get off celebrity rehab with Doctor Drew. Like when I, when I, when I watched that show when it was on in its heyday and those people would check in the celebrities and there were a few that were cocaine users. I remember the physical withdrawals of it, the shakes, the throwing up, getting sick. Did you go through that? Like when, cause you were, like you said, for three mm -hmm. years, it became a daily thing for you when you finally yeah. stopped and stopped using it in the first, I guess, let's just say the first week you stopped. Is that the type of, reaction you got to your body or no yeah yeah so i mean every drug is di every drug is, di is different you know even even people that are uh, you know alcoholics and don't have any drug use involved in their in their addiction um coming off of it and withdrawal sy symptoms are very different depending on the drug you take for instance heroin users um typically they feel physically nauseous physically sick you know even with alcohol you can get the, sh the shakes some people have seizures coming off of really significant alcohol addiction um with cocaine the withdrawal symptoms aren't i wouldn't i'd say they aren't as bad as as some of the other drugs so for me it was a couple days of uh of being in uh in a detox and um you know kind of just getting it uh getting it out of my system but uh for about a week or two after that i just would say i just felt like mm, just you know didn't want to do a whole lot 
not a lot of motivation to to um, to get up in the morning and go about my day. I really kind of had to force myself to do that. I mean, our days up up there really in, involved uh, a full schedule every day of. Uh, yeah, of there yeah. Were some, what was a what was a daily routine like in rehab? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you we would actually. So I became very close with a group of guys um, and girls that were in my program um, up there, and. Um, you know, uh, we would we would wake up every morning to see the sunrise, which was just before 6 a.m. <laughs> up there. Yeah. And uh, it was a beautiful spot that I was in. It was right in the middle of Pennsylvania up in the mountains. And um, so we would watch the sunrise, go have breakfast. And then our day started at 8 in the morning with, uh, with a lecture. Um, you know, it was a different type of class than I'm used to. You know, it was a lecture on typically on a level of, uh, of addiction. You know, something to do with addiction, whether it be the effect that it has on your brain, whether it be um, the effects that it has on your levels of honesty, being honest with yourself, you know, certain mental disorders that might come along with it, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, those types of things. There would be like an hour long lecture. Then we would get right into group therapy um, for usually like an hour and a half. Uh, We would break for lunch. We'd come back, have another session of an hour and a half of group therapy and then we would usually meet with our, our primary therapist for a one-on-one session. There was a family therapist up there. Depending on what kind of addiction you had, you might have another um, another group therapy on that specific drug, let's say. Or some people are there for even for like gambling addictions or, um, or you know, addictions that don't necessarily involve drugs and alcohol. So they had kind of special tailored groups for all of those. And then every night we would have, uh, our group would have a, uh, a speaker come in at about, you know, we'd eat dinner at five o'clock. A speaker would come in at six o'clock and, um, and speak to us for about an hour. And then, um, our group would actually go and, um, we'd have a sit around at night. Um, you know, we'd sit around in a circle really and, and go one by one and kind of talk about our day, what we learned, what we were feeling. Um, there's a lot of, lot of emotions, a lot of tears, a lot of, people opening up to each other. I mean, it's a real, you know, bonding experience of kind of what you're going through. Um, and then that was, that was the day we wake up and do it all over again mm-hmm. the next day. I mean, it's, it's a busy schedule. It's not just uh well, so I mean, you know, every rehab is different, but I'll say that the program that I did really was, uh, was intense. Um, and, and then when I got down to Florida, it was, uh, it was kind of the same deal. The, the therapy that I've gotten down here, um, hasn't been necessarily as focused on understanding addiction and how it works. It's been more of understanding what circumstances it is in our lives that have gotten us, you know, the underlying root causes. For me, it was depression. For other people, it might be that they were going through a messy divorce or they're going through a personal problem that kind of led to them ramping up their addiction. Um, but really, it, it was uh, more focused on on uh the underlying root causes this is where i got that brain mapping i was telling you about and they did something called neurofeedback with me which was uh you know an interesting process where they uh they really try to get you to almost retrain your brain one of the things about a about addiction too is like once you get sober um you know you you tend to forget your you know your your brain has the ability really to kind of block out how bad things got uh, for you so that if you, for instance, go through a couple months of sobriety and you're feeling good about yourself and you're thinking, ah, you know what, look, I can, I can get back out there. And, uh, and then you start maybe thinking to yourself, you know, I think I could have a drink. I could drink in moderation. I can go back to it and just have a couple socially type of a thing. But I mean, it, 
and again, I'm not, I'm not in a position to tell anyone else what the, you know, the level of their problem is, but you know, in my mind, being a true alcoholic myself or and a true drug addict, I mean, I know that, look, could I go out tomorrow and have a, you know, sit at a bar with you and have, go to happy hour and have a couple drinks and go home and go to bed. I could do that for a night. I might even be able to do that for a week or two weeks. What happened to me, and I firmly believe this, is that over time, I would start to tell myself that, okay, I had two. I was able to handle that. I can have a third. I can have a fourth. And before I would know it, I'd be back off to the races again. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but, but the, you know, the crazy thing is, like you said, you were asking if I've had, uh, you know, urges and things like that. Sure, I did. I definitely had them you know, early on. And there are periods of time, even still now, they've become a lot less frequent where I'll have these little moments in my mind where my mind will tell me, oh, you know, you know, maybe things weren't really that bad, <laughs> you know? Um, hmm. And then I, th and then I think about where I was on June 28th, you know, sitting in my apartment trying to end my life. Um, and having that, that image is as kind of sad as it might sound. Um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have had it, I think in a, in a, in an odd, odd way, because, you know, I, I know where it will take me if I, if I don't do the right thing, continue to doing the right thing to keep my, uh, my mental health and, and myself in check. It's almost, and, um, it's almost like a motivation, right? Cause you oh, yeah. visualize <laughs> what you, where you were June 28th and you're like, mm -hmm. I'm never, I never want to get to that point, and if I do anything to get off that track, that's where I'll probably be headed again. Without a doubt, without a doubt, and um, you know, I I hope that, uh, like you know, like I said to you before, I, I hope that we had this talk. I think you know, last night, you know, is not for someone like yourself, for instance, not not ever ever having done drugs. You know, you you begin to wonder, like, what, like, what, come on, is this just something that someone does because they want to like have a good time? You know, is it is it a choice? And um, I'll be, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I, I there was plenty of times in my life where I thought it was uh, was something that I that I chose to do, and, and part of you know what I've what I've been able to do uh, now is. Um, is really rather than thinking my trying to think my way into positive acting, I've been trying to act my way into positive thinking and I've tr just been trying to do the right thing. Be honest with people. Um, I think I told you that, uh, um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of uh, positivity in, in, in being honest with people, <laughs> you know, completely honest with my situation. And I'm hoping that, that in doing this, um, that hopefully someone, you know, hears this message and, uh, and knows that, you know, there's probably someone that was in my exact shoes right now. I don't know if they're going to be listening to your podcast while they're in the middle of that situation, Steve, no offense, but I mean, yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully this resonates with someone to know that, uh, I always used to hear that, you know, there's hope, there's hope out there. And I used to like sit there and listen to it. Like that is a bunch of bullshit. Cause there's nobody in my situation where I was could ever find themselves listening to someone like me and saying, okay, well that guy just gave me hope, you know, because I just never thought it was really a possibility of when things got very deep for me. I, you know, but I just, I just really hope that, uh, I hope that I can give hope to somebody else. Um, you know, who's going through what I was going through, man, because it sucks. You know, I mean, you think of 
drug addicts and and uh there might be people out there that think oh they're just people who like to party and like to have a good time and they just take it a little bit too far but with where i was there was nothing positive there was nothing um about it that uh i, I was not having a good time with it i mean i was struggling like nobody else could ever imagine uh well not nobody else because there are people i'm sure who can imagine it and who are in it or who have been in it but uh but man, it sucks. I mean, it is, it is just a, a really shitty thing to go through. But with that said, you know, um, in sobriety and with where I'm at right now and, um, you know, look, I've, I got to keep working on myself. I got to do that on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I got to wake up every morning and remember and remind myself that how bad things could get if I just make one misstep. You yeah. Know? It's very cliche, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's a day to day thing. You you the good the good news is and, you know, I'm sure people that are listening could probably figure it out. You are you are now seven months sober um, coming up on seven. Yeah, coming it was up six on seven months. months. Uh, it'll be yeah, it'll be February 9th, it'll be seven months. Well, congratulations on that. And thank, thank you, know, you, brother. you know that it's still a day to day thing. And I, I you know, I don't I don't have any history other than, my you know, with the exception of. Myself, obviously, I told you I haven't been involved in anything like that. I've never been anybody that I was close to that uh, had that as well. But you hear stories and you hear people like through other people, like third party people, that they just say it is a daily grind. You're never out of it. You will always like you you can't even really call yourself a former addict. You are an addict, right? Is that the way they present it? Without a doubt. Yeah, without it. I mean, look, you know, people have different different opinions on that. Um, but uh, but I don't I, I don't I, you know that they I've heard people kind of mention it and say like the the disease is constantly uh, outside the door that you're in doing push ups, just wanting to to get you and wanting to catch you in kind of a vulnerable position. And, and the interesting thing is, from what I've learned, is that most of the people that relapse, which there's a lot. I mean, I, I'll tell you that, uh, unfortunately, even in the relatively short period of time that I've been at this, um, many of the people that I've been through this program with have already gone back out, um, you know, to, to, to go back to it. Um, very few, you know, people actually get it, get it kind of, get it kind of right. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a constant, um, a constant having to remind myself of, uh, of where, of where things were and, uh, you know, how I don't want to get back to that point. I mean, you know, and, and, and I, I really, I really believe that, um, that, you know, um, that my situation, um, in hearing it, I wish that I had heard something like what I'm able to say today, you know, back at, back when I was struggling. Yeah. I mean, maybe I would, maybe I would have listened, maybe it would have resonated with me, but, uh, but, you know, we all have our own stories. We all have our own personal kind of adventures in life and, places that uh that we've been and and we all have kind of a story to tell and um you know i i I don't want to get kind of too too deep into it but you know when you just you think about like social media and stuff it's funny i still follow a lot of the people from the show and whatnot not to not to bring it back to the show but um 
you know, everyone's life looks just incredible on Instagram, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> have, you, have you ever, you ever had somebody like, you don't see very many people posting on Instagram about uh, their, you know, their suicidal thoughts or their mental health disorders or things of that nature. It's rare that you find people that actually um, are vulnerable and willing to put themselves in a vulnerable position by kind of sharing the negative aspects of their life in social media. But, um, but things aren't as, as, fine and dandy and rosy as people put it, put it out there on social media on a daily basis. Right. I mean, we're all struggling with something, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully just the people are able to just be open about it and, and, you know, conversate about it because at the end of the day, it's okay. I mean, we all go through something and, and addiction, whether it be in a, you know, a workaholic, uh, a golfaholic, uh, cocaine addict, an alcoholic. I mean, you know, there, there are certain levels of addiction that can really just affect your life to the point that your life can become, you know, unmanageable if you don't manage that addiction. And if you don't actually, um, you know, face reality and realize that, uh, that, that it's okay to talk about these things. I used to hear that all the time. It's crazy, right? I used to think like, no, it's not okay to talk about it because if you come out and say you're a drug addict, there's a lot of people that are going to judge you for that. Yeah. You know, who might not understand that, uh, that it's, that it might not be a choice that you're going through. And there's, that was one of the things that, that, that I had some hesitation with, with this, Steve is, uh, you know, is, is there might be people out there who don't buy this and say, ah, bullshit, bullshit. You know, people can stop. If they want to stop, they can stop. And all I can say to that is if you could live one day in my shoes with where I was, uh, and, um, you know, for someone who I would consider, the, you know, as having fairly strong willpower and a pretty good problem solver, this was a problem that I had no solution for. And, you know, thank God in thinking about this and doing this, I mean, I came to the conclusion that, listen, it's none of my business what other people think about me. If there's people that uh, that that think in any way that um, that what I'm saying just isn't isn't the truth and that uh, it's something that people just choose and that they want to live a miserable existence by choice, then, you know, so be it. But I can say that, uh, having lived it, that's not, uh, that's not the case. And I mean, there is a way out, there's a way to the other side and to a, to a brighter future. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully somebody hears that message from this. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I, I gotta believe somebody will. And, and I guarantee mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of responses today from people that you touched with, with your story. There's a, there's a few other things I wanted to talk about in regards to this. Sure. One, one question that I had, um, taking away the financial aspects of it and the availability of it, is there one that you fear more between alcohol and cocaine or is it just they're lumped into one thing for you at this point? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, I thought a lot about this and, you know, um, I, I, you know, there's other drugs that are out there that that uh, I mean, I never tried heroin or anything of that nature, but obviously I've experimented, you know, with with other things along the way, and um, nothing really got me like cocaine did. But I, I will tell you that um, everything for me started with uh, with with alcohol and with drinking, and um, I will tell you that I never did. I rarely, over the last few years, drank without doing cocaine. Now there were times that I did cocaine without drinking you know, throughout the day, I wasn't somebody who was drinking from a bottle at work, you know, or, or hiding that I yeah. was able to not, not drink during the day. But, um, I believe that alcohol was my gateway to, uh, to cocaine that I wouldn't have gotten to cocaine had it not been for alcohol. Okay. Um, 
But uh, but but look, in in a perfect world, if cocaine didn't exist, could I drink? Um, to be honest with you, I don't think I could because I'm the type of person that if, I, if I'm going to have one or two, uh, we're, I'm going to go beyond that most of the time. Yeah. One thing you did tell me was I can't remember at what point in the timeline it was. I think it was when you had entered yourself into the rehab in Pennsylvania is that you actually reached out to Alon and everybody listening knows Alon Gale, former producer uh, up until this past season or going forward, he won't be a producer on the bachelor anymore, but you're all aware of his story. You all know who he is. Um, If you don't know his backstory in terms of non bachelor rated stuff is Alon stopped drinking. I think four years ago, I think he's four years sober. Now Uh, he's written about it numerous times. Uh, He talks about it a lot, but you actually reached out to Alon when and what did he say yeah i reached out to him um and i'll just tell you I, I i didn't i didn't know people that were sober um he was maybe the only one that i could think of that i knew uh that had you know was open or maybe maybe I, there were people out there that were sober that i didn't know were you know were sober who had gone through what i'd gone through but he was someone who was open about it you know, and I had read his blogs kind of over the years and saw his social media and whatnot. I reached out to him about a week after I got to rehab because I didn't have anybody in my own personal life that uh, that I uh, felt like I could kind of be open with my problem about. And I knew that he had been through uh, through it. And, um, man, he was just uh, he was and, and continues to be uh, really, really supportive. You know, I used to think that, like. Well, he doesn't, you know, not, he doesn't work for the show now, but he did when I, he still did I, I, when I was, when I got to rehab, obviously. But, uh, yeah. but you know, you know, you, you know, look, obviously at the end of the day, the goal of the, of the show is to, is to make good television. And, uh, you know, you know, they'll, you know, look, it's a producer's jobs kind of to do whatever they can to make good TV. And if that means, uh, throwing someone under the bus or kind of making them look a certain way, they'll do that. But, uh, but what I've learned, you know, and I, I, I kind of always knew that, which is why I felt comfortable reaching out to Alon is that he's someone who uh, really genuinely kind of cares. Um, and I just felt comfortable with telling him my story, given what he had been through and he would check in with me routinely. And, uh, you know, as I continued to, to gain time sober, I would, you know, let him know that I got another week down and, um, and he would continuously reach out to me and talk to him a few times, uh, you know, on the phone about it. And, uh, he's been someone who's, who's been really, uh, understanding, obviously. I mean, they, all, all of uh, the, the, you know, my guys from my season um, have been really, uh, you know, understanding about it. I mentioned this to you, but we had had a, a text chain uh, that's been going on for years. I think I, I don't know that uh, even when I told Alon this, he was kind of surprised to hear that we're still all in such great contact, the guys from uh, from Alley season. But, um, you know, I had kind of gone dark on this text chain for a while for at least a year where I wasn't responding to anything. And I would see these messages pop up. Hey, anybody heard from Craig? Is Craig alive? Like what's going on with him? People were trying to reach out to me and I just wasn't calling people back mainly because, you know, I was so deep in my situation that I didn't want to, um, I was tired of lying and, and making it seem like everything was fine in my life. But at the same time, I didn't want to tell anybody about how deep my situation was. So my response to that was just to kind of go dark and, uh, and not talk to anybody. And so, I, I reached out to my guys too and reappeared on the text chain and uh, told them, you know, gave them a long text about where I've been and what I've been doing. And, um, you know, I, uh, 
I got a lot of support from those guys too, man. I mean, we're, it's crazy that something like that can kind of, can bring, uh, you know, you guys pretty, you know, a group of guys that close together. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys again. I haven't been able to, to see any of them, um, you know, since, but I think I told you, I think, you know, um, Frank's getting married in, uh, in April and I'm going to try to make it to his wedding and, uh, and hopefully see some of the guys and, and reconnect with them. Yeah, I mean, that was the way you told me, was that October 4th text that you told me when we started off talking about Christie turned into, hey, I've been, sorry, I've been off the grid for a few months. Um, things got really bad, you know, mentioned, you know, trying to kill yourself, and I just asked a ton of questions, and I didn't, because I just was, I, it's the last thing I expected to hear, you know. I wasn't expecting it. I, yeah, I hadn't heard from you in two months, but we had gone two months before without speaking, and I didn't think twice about maybe Craig's in trouble. Like it, it never crossed my mind. And like I said, knowing now what I know at no point, even looking back, did I ever suspect. And maybe cause I've just n- never really been around drugs my whole life. I never thought you were, you know, daily reliant on cocaine. I just thought you drank a lot. And you, when we talked a few times, I thought, Oh, I think Craig was drunk. And that was basically my extent of it. Um, I had no idea when you told me all that stuff, I was floored. Um, you know, I'm glad that you did. And at the time you were, I think you think you had a month left at the Florida rehab center. But like I said, the best part is you are coming up on seven months of sobriety. Um, the other thing is work wise, you have started to work down there for a law firm and you're taking the Florida bar at the end of February, right? I am. Yep. Well, that's good. And so once you, I'm assuming you, you're going to pass it. You'll be, you'll be, you'll from be your, now. from your mouth to God, from your mouth to God's ears, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did it before. It's the positive thing, but uh, it's been 10 years. So is, is, I mean, I, and not to get into legal stuff here, but is it that much of a, um, like how much, how different is, I mean, maybe you don't even remember your test from 10 years ago, but taking the Pennsylvania bar versus the Florida bar, is it roughly the same stuff or whole new bunch of laws that you got yeah there's memorize. there's a lot of there, there's a lot of there's a lot of florida law on this on this you know i mean the um you know the uh the thing is like the, in in the 10 years that i've been practicing you know you, there's a, you know over 10 subjects that are tested on this test so um you know i've been a personal injury lawyer for the last 10 years and personal injury is a very small part of what's on this test so uh, I haven't utilized a lot of this stuff in, in 10 years. And now, now I'm being tested on the Florida version of it, which, you know, does differ, you know, um, you know, I wouldn't say significantly, but in some ways it does. It, it, so it, a lot of this is, is new to me again, but, um, you know, look, I've been, uh, I've been working my butt off here and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully things go, uh, go to plan. But, um, but look, you know, the one thing, um, the one thing I, I, I know is that given what I've been through and, and uh, you know, fighting off, uh, you know, this addiction um, and look, I'm I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm out of the woods by any means. Like I said to you before, I, that's that's my primary my primary goal right now. Now is just to continue to stay sober and continue to work on myself and uh, just be a good person, you know, and be a good friend, be a good son. And, um, and, uh, but, uh, that's my primary, primary purpose and everything else will work itself out. I mean, hopefully I, uh, I pass the test and things go well, but, um, you know, beyond that and, uh, what I'll do, you know, in the future is, is kind of to be determined. But, uh, 
I'm really learning to kind of take things one day at a time and not look five, 10 years down the road um, and really just focus on, you know, today and, uh, and just being the best that I can be today, as corny as that sounds, as cliche as that sound sounds. I mean, um, I'm really just, I'm, I'm focused on just, uh, one thing right now, which is staying sober and, uh, staying clean and just making sure that, uh, my life continues to progress where I want it to progress. And, uh, from the rest, you know, the rest is in God's hands and I'll hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully on top of, of, of staying sober, I really hope that, uh, that in the future, whether it be, uh, you know, in my daily professional life or beyond that, that I can just do something that helps other people, um, especially other people that were in the situation that I was in. Cause I know there's a lot of people out there that are suffering and, uh, you know, hopefully this, uh, this resonates with them and, uh, going forward, hopefully I can, I can, I can, you know, help, help some people get out of the, the similar, same and similar situations to the one that I, that I was in. Well, the other good news to come out of this is you got yourself a woman. <laughs> yep. Tell, yep. tell For, people uh, about that, about well, how that came to be. And well, we, you know, I'll, I'll leave, uh, I'll kind of leave the details of it just to kind of protect, uh, yeah. you know, her anonymity, but, uh, you know, things are, uh, things are going well and, uh, I'm in a good spot. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, yeah. I, was, I was happy that you, you know, you told me about that and, um, you know, seven months sober uh, from where you were, you know, back in June, uh, you know, probably back in June, you probably, you didn't see it. I mean, you even said it yourself. Like it just, there was no exit. There was no way out for you. You thought that that was essentially it. So it's now to see that you're seven months sober, you're happy. And honestly, looking back, I listened to some of our podcasts from back in August of 17, uh, before today. And you just sound like a different person. I can tell in your voice, it just, you sound different. I mean, there was a good chance you were probably either drunk or high when we did the podcast a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, it's more than a good chance. Yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. a pretty certainty, but yeah. I mean, you know. Look, I just I just I, notice it. I, in your cadence, I, I don't know what it is, but I, 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 you know, before we got on tonight, I was recording with Ashley Spivey for our for yeah. our podcast, and I told Ashley, I said, Ashley, I spoke to him he sounds different. Like he and Ashley was someone that, um, you know, I don't know if you, we want to talk about this, but, um, there was, there was a situation with Ashley. And when you talk about shunning people and not talking to people that you had shut out, you were very close with Ashley and her husband, Steve. And for the longest time, never let them know when you were in town. And it, it, it became this weird thing where they didn't know what was going on either. And yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and look, I can, that was kind of a natural, you know, reaction to, uh, to just really being unhappy with myself, you know, and, um, I, the people that I started to hang out with over the years really were people that were into what I was into in a social setting, which, you know, there was a group of people obviously that I was rolling with that, uh, that liked to do what I did. And, and those were the people that I kind of stayed close to. Um, you know, when things were really bad. So the unfortunate part of it is people like Ashley and, and her husband, Steve, who were just awesome, awesome people. And I, and those are two of the people that I, that like I mentioned to you, like when I say I have people that love me and they care about me, those are two people right there that like, man, I could have, I could have said to Ashley or to Steve, like, cause we were really close at points in time that like, Hey, like I, I need help. I don't know what to do. Very well could have done that chose not to do it because I didn't want to let anybody into my world. But, uh, you know, I've reconnected with, uh, with Ashley. I let 
let her know um, she was one of the people, obviously, that I care a lot about and, um, you know, where I was. And, uh, you know, she knew she knows, obviously, that I was doing this and uh, sent me a really nice message just before it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, as far as as far as sounding differently, I'm glad to hear that I sound good because I feel like really like a new person. And a lot of that really is, um, you know, you know, it's amazing, Steve, just being able to be honest and get this off my chest and talk about it. Uh, and, and just, you know, uh, lay it all out there and really, uh, not, not worry about, uh, what other people think about it and not, uh, have to, have to deal with kind of the shame and and the embarrassment. I'm not going to lie. I mean, look, there's still a part of it that I'm like, Oh God, am I doing the right thing here by, by putting the message out there? Um, you know, because, um, you know, it's a deep, it's a part of a part of life that uh, not everybody, I think, would would be so, you know, have a desire to share with other people. I mean, truly, the uh, the reason I'm I'm doing this is is hopefully to resonate with other people, and and um, it does feel really good to not have to hide it away and not have to to run from it and um, and to just you know put it out there and look. Physically, it's amazing what sobriety can do for you when you're not drinking every night and doing drugs. I've gotten back into the gym. I've like you know lost 20 pounds of body fat. I'm like actually in not I'm still you know not in great shape, but I'm getting getting better. And uh, yeah. you know, so physical fitness and mental fitness and spiritual you know well being has been a big been a big part of my life recently. And uh, you know, man, I'm just just trying to just be a good person and. Um, you know, do right by people and, uh, and just, and just be honest. You well, know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so good to hear, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially when I first heard about it in October and then hearing where you're at now and things seem to be getting better. And I know it's a day to day thing, but I, you know, I've got faith in you. I know Ashley and Steve have faith in you that you, that you will, that you will do this. You're, you're, you're seven months on your way to doing it. And then, you know, uh, it's it's never going to be easy, and it's always going to be something. But your story is there's no doubt it's going to resonate with people. I can't see how it wouldn't. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to. You know, I, I want to end the podcast with, and you might have addressed this at some point, but I just kind of want to end it with, you know, through all this, other than the obvious message of, hey, kids, drugs are bad for you. Um, you know, what's what's your takeaway from from everything that you went through, where you're at now? And the advice that you can give to help anyone who is either where you were, uh, was where you were at, you know, where you are now, where, where you were at or, or knows someone who is, what's the best thing, any message that you could give someone like that? Yeah. I mean, I just had to think about it for a sec. I'm still here. Don't worry about it. But, (laughs) but, uh, but, but, you know, I, I, and I, I kind of said this earlier, but, you know, doing cocaine on a weekly on or on a, on a basis, even let's say every, every weekend, um, you know, might seem like something, uh, to someone who kind of is able to do it and able to, uh, to still be successful in parts of their life. Um, when you have to turn to that, uh, and look, who am I to say, because I did it for a number of years and it was fun for a long period of time, you know, when I used to do it. But if you're relying on it, like to that level, um, you know, I, I would just say that you might just want to take a pause in life and think about the reasons why it is that, you know, you know, you, you need to do that. Um, because, 
at points in your life, using drugs and drinking excessively will be manageable. It will be to the point that you can, uh, that you can manage the other parts of your life and where everything will seem okay. But, you know, if you're anything like me, and again, I can only speak for myself, um, there probably will come a point where you will cross an imaginary line. Um, and sometimes, like I said to you, I don't even, like, it's hard for me to put a time frame on it, like when it became such a big problem. Uh, because I truly believe that that line for me was imaginary. And then I don't know when it was that I crossed the line to where it became just social to it became something I depended upon uh, to get through my daily daily life. But I would just say to anyone that's out there that's kind of, you know, a using drugs, even in a recreational way, just take hit the pause button for a second and, uh, you know, take a step back and just try to maybe figure out why it is that you um, that you're doing that. And I mean, the other thing I will say is if you're somebody that's been that's crossed that imaginary line and you're starting to kind of realize that you that you might have a problem um, and you don't know who to turn to. I never thought that anyone else would understand the level of depth that my problem had gotten to. And that's that caused me to continue to lie to myself but um, and to just tell myself that I didn't have as bad of a problem as I did. And, and the best message I can give to people that that feel even subconsciously or just a little bit think that like maybe there is a chance that I have a problem here uh, and things are starting to kind of unravel in their life to the point that they're starting to maybe isolate from people or they're starting to feel like they might be suicidal themselves or starting to think, you know, in that realm. Um, there's a lot of help out there. Uh, there's a lot of help. And not only that, but the people that you least expect to understand your problem probably do and if they don't if they haven't been through it themselves they probably know somebody who is either going through it or who has gone through it i can't even tell you how eye-opening it's been for me in knowing how many people have been affected by the disease of addiction and by alcoholism um, people that i never would have expected to understand it completely understand what it is that i've gone through and um, and now I understand it and have a better under you know better idea of, of where I was and what led me to get to that point. So if anyone's listening to this that is having um, is having you know problems in their life that that uh, that involve drugs and alcohol or even involve just mental health, whether it be just just depression, it doesn't even have to involve drugs and alcohol because my problem really at the root of it didn't stem from drugs and alcohol; it stemmed from something deeper. So if you're feeling a certain way like that, I will tell you. Um, you know, whether it's reaching out you know, to me or to, uh, I mean, a great place is, again, I'll, I'll plug it every day because they saved my life is the Karen Foundation, uh, you know, which is uh, located in Pennsylvania and Florida. I mean, they saved my life and the people that are involved in that program really saved my life. And uh, there's help out there. And uh, just just ask for it. Don't do what I did and, and hide it away and try to act like everything is OK, because life isn't what it looks like on Instagram and social media. I mean, there's big, big problems that people are dealing with. And I just hope that anyone that's struggling out there gets the help that they need. And I hope that, uh, that my message in even a small way can help people to realize that, uh, there's a way out and there's a way to, uh, to a better life and a better future out there. Well, I think it will. And Craig, mm -hmm. I, I can't, man, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and sharing, uh, this story with everybody because, you know, it, it, like I said, it can't be easy and just to hear the depths that you were at seven months ago and now to hear where you're at now is, is awesome to hear. We're all pulling for you. I, I'm pulling for you. We'll obviously be in 
in touch more. Maybe yeah. maybe you can get around to that uh, request I had for you back in, uh, <laughs> in <laughs> July. I still want to hear more about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I really appreciate it. This is, um, like I said, it's probably one of the more important podcasts, uh, that we've done. And, you know, we, we've, I've talked to people who have been through stuff, but I, I don't think anybody been on that talked extensively about a, a severe addiction, uh, that they had. And so I, I definitely think this is going to help. So Craig, again, thanks you so much and, uh, good luck with everything. Good luck with the bar at the end of the month. Uh, in the relationship and uh, obviously we'll be in touch and I I can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for letting me uh, spread the message, Steve. I appreciate it, bud. No problem. Be well. You too. All right, brother. See you. Well, thanks to Craig for that. Um, That was, uh, like I said, probably um, one of the more deeper conversations we've had on this podcast and I knew it would be important and I think Craig did an excellent job of, of, of explaining how bad it got for him back in June. And like I said, when he, when he texted me all this in October and came out and said what he did, I, I was shocked. Like I had no idea. Um, I, I just knew Craig drank a lot, liked to have a good time. There were definitely times where we talked, where I hung up the phone and said he had to have been drunk. There was no, like he was just very repetitive in what he said. He would tell me the same story like three or four times. And, but, you know, I, Craig and I are acquaintances. We've met, I think, on two occasions, maybe just one. Um, but I never felt, uh, you know, to intervene and tell him, Craig, you need to stop this. I wasn't that, I wasn't as close with him. We, he's an uh, acquaintance that um, always gave me a lot of good legal advice. You know, I talked about when Christy passed away, I said that she was somebody I always went to. I always went to her and Craig. Those were the two that I went to for, for legal advice if... You know, ABC sent me something or uh, whatever the case may be. And I just, um, he was always there for me. And then when he, you know, disappeared for a couple months this summer, I didn't think much of it. Like, because there was no, it wasn't an urgency. Like, this wasn't like, Craig, I desperately need you to help me with this. Please get back to me as soon as you can. And and he flaked. It was just like, hey, can you check this out for me real quick? And then he never did. And I, I just never thought of it again And until I heard from him in October. But, uh, yeah, you heard the story there. I mean, it's very powerful. I hope somebody listening, um, it reached them today and maybe makes it makes them a change. Even if it's one person, uh, if if it makes them change or makes them get help, I, I feel like it was worth it. And I, I know Craig feels like it was worth it. So uh, I, I hope you all appreciated that, and I hope you all uh, listened to it from beginning to end because there was a, a lot of serious stuff in there, and Craig obviously is a very good talker and was uh I, I just I couldn't be more impressed with the guy. I'm so happy that he's seven months sober and uh is on the track that he's on. You know, working at a law firm, taking the bar in Florida at the end of the month, and got a new girlfriend. I mean, it's things are looking well for him and they weren't seven months ago. So uh thank you everybody for listening. Uh, and again thanks uh, thanks to to Craig uh, for sharing that story. And if you want to respond to it, I will be including his uh, Twitter handle. He doesn't use Twitter as much, but I think he will now, uh, you know, the next few days as people respond to this so he can, he can hear, please let him know what you feel about the, about the podcast and his story. Cause I, I guarantee just, even though he's doing well, I, I can only think that hearing positive things and positive feedback because he was a little bit 
gun shy about coming on. I asked him and he said, let me ask my sponsor if this is a good idea and I'll get back to you. And he, you know, he eventually did and said he, you know, sponsor thought it would be a good idea to, to talk about it. And I, you know, listening to that, it's like, how could that not be helpful to somebody out there? And, um, so Craig, I, I, I appreciate you, man. Good friend, always been a good friend. And, uh, I just, I wish him continued success in whatever he does. So not the e- easiest transition to make, uh, <laughs> But you know, at the end of every podcast now, uh, for the next eight or nine weeks, uh, we're going to have Temptation Island talk. So um, let's get to her. Um, Casey Campbell from Temptation Island. Let's bring her in. You hear her every week here on the podcast talking about this week's episode of Temptation Island. It's Casey Campbell. Casey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And let's just jump right into uh, last night's episode of where it started, okay. which picked up at the woman's bonfire because episode two ended with Shari's reaction to seeing yeah. Javen's video, which still to this day, even Mark Wahlberg said it, like, what exactly did we see that got her so upset? Yeah. Whatever the case may be, um, let's move on to you uh, and what you saw okay. Evan talking about possibly finding connection with someone out there. Um, And again, you very self-aware and very so gung-ho about this process are like, Hey, (laughs) you know, you know, Evan's saying like, he's supposed to be there. He's supposed to be on temptation Island. He's supposed to date other people. And you're like, yeah, I'm glad he's opening up. He deserves it. And, and this, this carefree attitude of, Hey, if we're not meant to be, we're not meant to be, which is so different than I think the other three couples, but Again, when you saw yeah. that, you didn't seem bothered by it at all. Yeah. So when I watched the bonfire clip, my first one, um, I'm not going to lie. As I was watching it and when he made that statement, um, like mine and Casey's love is impossible to talk, but the impossible might be here on Temptation Island. I like kept my shit together, but inside, like my face got like crazy hot. Like my heart was racing because it was just like totally just a blast to the past, to be honest. Like I haven't seen Evan look like that and say things like that in many, many years. And I was like, oh man, like it's only been what three, four days. And like, he's already making pretty bold, bold statements. But then at the same time, like what you just said, I'm a very self-aware person. I've really worked um, hard for many years to like keep my emotions in check and like not go from zero to a hundred. So I was just like, you know what? I didn't see anything bad in this clip. Like me and him really do both deserve the best. We've been through a lot together and nothing necessarily bad happened. So I just need to stay calm. And then also me and you, we've talked a lot. I really had some answers. I needed some answers and that's why I came there. I think the other girls didn't really need answers quite as much as I did. So that's also why I think I was so calm, cool, collected, because I was there for a reason. <laughs> also, one of the things that you said at that bonfire was it was almost a 180 from what you said at the beginning of the show, that you don't yeah. need a title and you don't need a ring to realize what you had with Evan and you yeah. were... You felt like you did that because you were getting pressure from parent from your parents, 
So yeah. on the first episode, we basically saw you say, and then Evan say to the other women, the temptresses, like, if I don't propose, I'm done, or essentially paraphrasing yeah. there, but basically that he felt like if, yeah. if I don't, it, we're done. Um, so yeah. talk about the, like, what you said last night in terms of the pressure from your parents and then realizing I don't, I don't need an ultimatum. And I think you gave a, I think you gave a, uh, a speech yeah. to all the women out there. Like, don't give your men ultimatums. Yeah, no. Um, being on temptation Island, it really makes you just like look inside of you, like yourself and your life and your situation. And I love my family. I mean, they're amazing, but yes, they definitely have a certain standard for me. And the fact that, I've just been living with this boyfriend for years and years and years. And um, I moved to Hawaii for him, like with his family and just sacrificed a lot. And I'm still not getting that commitment. They're definitely concerned and they're definitely talking to me about it because I'm their only daughter. I'm super close with my dad. So they were concerned for me. So I definitely was hard on Evan and I definitely gave him an ultimatum. But with that said, I also think, like, I need to be better at being my own person. I'm a very selfless person, and I'm always putting everybody before myself. I'm always, um, I don't know, I'm trying to make everybody happy, and I need to get better about making myself happy. So that's what it was. I just felt really torn in between making Evan happy and my relationship work and then making my family happy when, at the end of the day, I just need to do what I want and and make myself happy. And that, that's what I started to learn. So that's where that whole all in 80 came from. Well, one of the other things that happened at the bonfire that got a lot of run on social media, um, after the episode was Katie making the comment about John being a good father. And then we come to find oh, out yeah. at the end of the episode that John's father yeah. committed suicide five years ago. I, obviously you yeah. can't speak for Katie, but you, are good friends with Katie. You're good friends with all three other women and you guys are very close. So is there, is there a way to explain? I mean, did we hear it wrong or did she mean to say something else? What's your take on that? My take on that. I do not think that Katie meant it in that way at all whatsoever. And it's not that I think I know she didn't mean it that way at all whatsoever. She has very real love for John. Um, she feels for what the tragedy that he went through with his father. Um, she is just a very brutally honest straight shooter. And sometimes I think she gets um, a little caught up in her words maybe and just things come out in the wrong way. And especially with like editing and like not all the context and the full conversation, things can be miscued. But no, she definitely didn't mean it that way. I've actually spoken with her. She's She's very upset about it. Like she's she's an amazing girl with a big heart, and she would never intentionally want to hurt anyone, especially her boyfriend and someone she loves, and over such a sensitive subject. So, yeah, no, it, I definitely feel for her because she's she's getting some heat. <laughs> yeah, you guys, like I said, you guys are very close. Um, you know, post show, yeah. this isn't. Uh, I mean, as far as I know, as just looking on social media, you guys are all going to Vegas this weekend for the Super Bowl. Vegas. Right? Yeah, no, we we plan trips together, and we're so excited for this weekend. We can't wait. Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be fun. Um, one thing, <laughs> one thing to move on to was uh, after the bonfire, all the women. I think yeah. all of you were in the room. I remember seeing Shari and you and Katie. I don't know if Nicole was in there, but uh, we we got the Casey epiphany, 
which was oh god <laughs> while you were under the blanket and having the runny mascara, mascara which which I got to believe is going to be a meme at any point now somebody's got to make a meme I of you know, with right? with the runny mascara under the blanket literally me and Shari have been joking about that since that like the next day like the next day we were like Casey like you looked absolutely ridiculous <laughs> like just your head out of that blanket mascara down your face that day we were like case is gonna be a meme 100 percent hashtag mascara tears yeah no it was it's yeah like you just described it it was just a head out from under the covers <laughs> the mascara running and then this just you had perennial sad face going with you, you know just this frown I of know. but what you said was um you you felt like god i wouldn't even be here doing this with him if i hadn't gave him an ultimatum like was were you actually yeah. regretting being there in that moment? In that moment, yes, I definitely was. I mean, they don't show it, but it was actually a lot worse than what you even saw. Shari and I, like, we really kind of had, like, a full-blown breakdown, <laughs> to be totally honest. Um, like, production stalled for, like, two full days. Um, and me and her both were just like, get us plane tickets. Like, Javen and Evan can do their thing, like – we're done. Like we're out. Both of us were totally regretting it a hundred percent. Cause I think it, it just got real, like crazy fast. Like, yeah, it just got real crazy fast. And you were just like, yep, we're in it. Shit's happening. Like there's no going back now. So a hundred percent regretting it. <laughs> well, obviously production didn't shut down. We continued on. And, uh, the next day <laughs> was <laughs> next day was dates. Uh, you guys yeah. chose your dates. All four of you okay. chose black men, which was I didn't even realize until I watched the episode <laughs> again last night. And there were comments oh being made on social God. media that all the women like chocolate and all this stuff and whatnot. I know. <laughs> but so okay, so funny. <laughs> you so you chose Justin. Why uh, did you choose Justin? Yeah. Um, Justin, I think I said in our first chat together, he was one that just, I was immediately attracted to and they don't show this, but after my date with Carlos, he kind of pulled me aside in the house and he was like, I thought you were going to pick me first. <laughs> I was like, honestly, I was. And then I like switched it up at the last second. So I was like, I promise I'll pick you on my second date. He was like, okay, cool. So me and him kind of had an agreement. Like I'm, I, I told him, I was like, I'm going to pick you on my second date. And he's super hot. I mean, everyone on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram's freaking out, rocking the camos and the cowboy hat. Like only yeah. he can get away with that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's why. Where, oh, I remember in the first episode, you said, who is Justin's brother on the show again? James. 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 Oh, he, he was on the date with Nicole. With Nicole. Okay. One thing yeah. that I saw and it immediately struck me on this horseback riding date when they showed oh, you and Justin's time together is your hair was so blonde in that, like, when you were on the horse, okay. it was so blonde again. I'm like, wait a second. What happened to her red hair that she was on the boat with Carlos? I know. God. I'm telling you, that boat, the camera, something was wrong because my hair is blonde. Yeah, I saw that on the on horse, and I immediately wrote that down. I said, "We got to talk about Casey's blonde hair again. Like it's so funny. It's ever changing colors. It's like changing. it's like eye colors. Yep. Like it's crazy." So yep. you also you saw on that the on the flip side, um, Evan chose Morgan for his date. Mm -hmm. At the time, yeah. were you surprised? 
Did you did you know anything uh, about that, Morgan at that point? Like, or were you like, oh, no, okay. no, I did not know anything about Morgan. Um, I actually never at that point. I never knew about the whole girl fight. I never knew about the drama. I didn't know anything. So yeah. she definitely wasn't one that stuck out as a type to me. It was like Catherine, Brittany, Hannah, Allie. I think. So yeah, no, I was totally surprised. A hundred percent. Yeah, and us as viewers watching the show, we saw what happened last week in the fight with Catherine and Morgan yeah. saying she doesn't like Evan, and Evan even saying before he picked her last night, she just said she doesn't yeah. like me, but I'm going to pick her and basically yeah. either try to change her mind or whatever he did. And, you know, yeah. obviously they had a they had a they had an interesting yeah. uh date together and um yeah. it seems like they're connecting and Yep. Good Lord. Um, Looks right. like they're having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like they're, look like they're having a great time. Um, so your date with Justin, they didn't show much mm-hmm. of it, but they did show the conversation no. where you talk about yep. how Evan cheated on you in the past. Uh, is there, do you want to yeah. elaborate on that? When did this happen? And was it like a one night <sighs> thing or was it something that was continuous? Um, uh, like, what can you say about yeah. the cheating? Yeah. It's like a subject I want to tread lightly because I'm not trying to like tear him down or anything. Um, but no, Evan has uh, Evan has a history of cheating, um, and not even just with me, with a lot of girls that he's been with. Yeah. Um, and I just know that because I'm one of the only girls that has really stayed in his life um, as his friend. But yeah, no, it was it was a problem. Like it mm. was during college when he was younger, just always having stuff in his phone on social media um there was multiple girls like he yeah multiple girls it was definitely a problem it's definitely something that i i'm really upset about um even to this day because when it when it happens over and over like that i mean how do you just get over something like that you know yeah but then at the same time like he's been through so much and like he's been so different for so long and really has proven himself to me for many years. So it's like, I want to let, let that go. But at the same time, like Justin did have valid points that I needed to listen to because that's what I was here for. It's your finances and, and grow. <laughs> so it was multiple cheating, but it's been a few years since it happened. So it was almost like, yeah, and kinda, been, exactly. And kind of like what Basically Evan said, what, what, what I was going to say was, um, I think it was at, like later on this episode or was it yeah it was later on this episode when the show ended with the guys uh yeah when the show ended with the guys bonfire he saw a clip of what yeah. Justin was saying to you and he yeah. seemed very affected by it and said that you know he's basically yeah. saying a cheater's a cheater and i don't agree with that i think people that you're basically saying if if that's the case then Nobody yeah. can ever change, and I don't believe that. I do think people yeah. can change, but when it comes to cheating, it's it's just something that it's always going to be in the back of somebody's mind. It's like I can forgive you yeah. for it, but am I ever going to forget it? No, I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, anyone ever forget well, something like that. Ex- exactly, and like I understand why Evan was hurt and upset seeing that because I'm with this like guy I just met, and like he doesn't exactly have the most positive things to say about my boyfriend. Yeah. But at the same time, like the questions were valid considering our history Um, and what you didn't see. I mean, you kind of thought a little bit, but I actually fully defended Evan um, to Justin. I said, you know what, with everything that's happened with his family and 
his father. Like he's been very different for many, many years now. And I don't, I actually said, I don't believe in the phrase once a cheater, always a cheater. I think certain things can happen that can really change you and put you on a different path. Um, And I really do believe that. So the whole situation is just, it's a really hard one because I want to trust him and just keep continuing to grow. But there is a dark history. So when he got back from the dates, Javen had a bunch of lipstick on his mirror from seven different women. (laughs) And (laughs) it was funny, but the biggest thing that I got out of it was we saw a personality out of Javen last night that we hadn't seen for the first two episodes where I thought him putting on the glasses and walking around the house with a clipboard trying to figure out who it was. Like, it was very funny and it showed a personality of his that was great. Yeah, that was funny. And I think for the first two episodes, I think for the first two episodes, people were just like, God, this guy is so closed off and he did just, yeah. just zero personality. And then last night, I think it came out and you can tell Javen's starting to open up a oh, little bit. Oh, totally. And yeah, that was yeah, funny. No, I gotta he's funny. And, yeah, he's great. I can't wait to see more of him. <laughs> and then Val, uh, you had a, you had a mini conversation with Val where he called mm-hmm. you the giggler. And we all know you are quite the giggler, which was very, which was very funny. Um, and I think with I think with Val, it's funny because Val has said Val is kind of like the jokester in the house from what we have seen so far. Yeah. But yet he hasn't oh, totally. uh, gotten a date uh, that might change in future episodes. But it's just funny to look at Val and he <laughs> he's I, I don't know what to make of him yet. I need to see more of him. Let, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. He's a complex guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as as we moved on in the episode, we see Evan and Morgan got back from their date, and he basically told her, "We have the strong. I have the strongest connection in the house to you." He admits he's got a little crush on her. He, I think he said shit four times yeah. in a row, and he's like, "Shit, shit, shit!" Like <laughs> he he knows he's in a little bit of trouble with Morgan, and. You said it a little bit earlier yeah. when I asked you, were you surprised by his choice of Morgan? And you're like, yeah, because she, you know, your boyfriend and you kind of know what he likes and his types. And you're basically saying yeah. that she, to you, didn't strike you as someone that was his type. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, totally. No, it was, um, it's definitely surprising, but knowing Evan, um, he also likes the girls that like play hard to get. I mean, that's kind of why he always wanted to work things out with me. Cause I was one of the only girls ever to like call him out on his shit. To be totally honest. Yeah. Um, and she seems to be very similar to me in that way where she kind of saw through the bullshit and she called him out on it, screamed at the top of her lungs. And I'm sure for Evan, that was like a major turn on to him. Like, okay, like this girl sees what's up. Like she's not afraid to like call me out. So I'm going to take this girl on a date. So once I saw that and kind of saw them interact, it made more sense to me. But still, very surprising for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think that there is something going on there with Evan and Morgan. And he, he basically admitted it. and She admitted it as well, that yep. they've really got a, a connection going oh, yeah. there. Uh, the next thing totally. was the next thing was the guy's talent show. Um, they didn't obviously oh, show God. everybody's talent we saw luna and val break dancing we saw scott dancing a little bit we saw dr johnny uh-huh. rapping roman ch- chugged a beer which i think got a boo out of uh 
out of Nicole because that's all he did. Um, and then, <laughs> and then Jack's uh, poem made uh, Nicole cry because she Nicole cry. Yeah, because she says she comes across as cold-hearted. What what can you tell us a little bit yeah. more about Nicole that maybe we haven't seen? Because she seemed to yeah. she seemed to open up a little bit, saying like, "I do feel like I am cold-hearted, and I just." have breakdowns like this when something really touches me yeah nicole um i have like real real love for nicole me and her um we actually shared a bathroom um which i'm sure you'll see as we go on so we like literally talked like every single morning when we woke up and like fell asleep together at night and she's an incredible girl she's very reserved she's very um she keeps her emotions to herself to be honest Uh, it takes a lot for her to open up um and you'll definitely see her open up throughout the show but her crying over that poem was like genuine because she really allowed herself to finally like feel and be vulnerable and open to the experience and that's something that she's never really done before and these guys i mean they were just so incredible to us from day one I think it just really started to hit her hard and I I don't know I'm super proud of her and her journey like she's um she's a real one and you'll see how it goes but yeah she definitely struggles with being cold-hearted and she doesn't want to be that that's for sure and then finally the show ended with the guy's bonfire for the second well like actually Shari's at last episode it ended with just Shari's uh, looking at the video, so they still have the yeah. three, three of you to get to. But ended with the gone fi- uh, the bonfire of the guys and Evan mm-hmm. admitting again he's never done well with <laughs> temptation, which you confirmed in this nope. podcast. Um, he sees yep. he sees the Justin talking about the cheating convo and the and the cheaters always cheat. And you gave us uh, you know your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, in a way. You know, we know this is a TV show, and they show certain things for certain reasons. Um, yeah, I think when people, you know, a, a lot of the sentiment I got last night on social media and written to me personally was last night was a little tame, and honestly, I thought it was too. Last night's episode was yeah, it wasn't drama filled. There wasn't anything yeah, major going on. We are we are three episodes no, in, and. There hasn't been any right. physical cheating in three episodes, and I think people are just like, "Come on, let's let's ramp it up. Let's get to the good right. stuff." What, what I can say <laughs> is this: um, to everybody out there who's watched the first three episodes, you're going to get your fill of what you want, <laughs> and it's coming, and it's coming in ways that you oh. are, are probably not even expecting. Because I have no. now seen six episodes, no. and I. My jaw was on the floor on one of them. (laughs) And yeah, America isn't ready. (laughs) You, uh, they're not. Uh, America ain't ready. (laughs) They're not ready. And I I, like I said, I obviously I don't want to spoil anything uh, from what I've seen in the in episodes four, five, and six. But next episode, you will start to officially get the ramping up of what you. I think a lot of you are tuning tuning into this for and. Yes, last night's or Tuesday's episode was um, was a little uh, tame on that end, and there wasn't a, a ton of drama. It didn't end with a major cliffhanger like they did last episode with Shari crying after seeing the uh, yeah. Javen video. But um, yeah, we've got a lot in store uh, for everybody in the next few episodes, and it's 
I can't begin to tell everybody how just watching it, it literally made me uncomfortable in my own chair watching what I was seeing. And, um, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Uh, like I'm literally I know. having many anxiety attacks, it's but, something um, else. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that'll wrap up episode three. Episode four is going to be an interesting one for sure. Um, and you know, obviously you will be back next week to, uh, talk yep. to us about episode four. So, Casey, thank you very much. Perfect. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. You got it. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you very much to Casey for that. A little quick little recap of episode three, like I said right there. Yeah, Tuesday's episode was very uh, tame. Wasn't a ton of drama. Didn't leave you with this major cliffhanger. I'm telling you, four, five, and six, get ready. Because it's coming, and it's... I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm surprised by what I saw to be honest with you. So, with that said, these conversations these next few weeks are going to get very very interesting because uh, I've got so many questions. Also, as I can't thank Craig Robinson enough for coming on and and telling that story. If it helps one person today, then that's all he wanted to do was help out and let people know that there is a way out. I mean, here was a guy that basically was minutes away from being dead and got through it, got lucky, but got through it and look at where he is today. Seven months sober. I can't be more proud of the guy. I feel, I I feel great for him. It sounds like he's doing really well, but as you know, if you, I mean, I've never been a drug addict, but I've heard so many stories. It's a day-to-day process. He could fall off the wagon tomorrow. We just don't know. I pray that he doesn't. I would never wish that upon anybody. Um, but it sounds like he's doing great, and that's all you can do is it really is. It's cliche, but it's you take it day by day uh, when you were that heavy of a user, or even if you weren't that heavy. Uh, if you're an addict, anything can can trigger you. So... Thanks to Craig and thanks to Casey again uh, for this podcast. This podcast is also brought to you by Brilliant Earth. It's the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring or choose from their unique designs made by master jewelers and enjoy free shipping on all U.S. orders. From now until February 3rd, you'll receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for the special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, go to brilliantearth.com slash Steve. So thank you to Craig and Casey for that. Thank you all for tuning in. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. So very much appreciated. Rating, commenting, it certainly helps the podcast and helps with advertisers. Episode 15 of the He Said, She Said podcast coming out this Tuesday with me and Ashley Spivey. It's going to be a good one. And again, if you want to be part of it in the future, just email me, email Ashley, DM us, however you want to get in contact with us. Tell us your story. Tell us what time zone you're in and the best time for you to record, and we'll work something out. So again, thanks to all of you who tuned into this podcast. I hope you got something out of it. And I hope if you're going through something or have ever been through something like Craig went through, this helped in some way. So I appreciate you all tuning in to Podcast 115.
with that said, thank you very much again, and we will talk to you next week. See you.